and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Joshua chapter 13. We're going to be making our way through all of that chapter and, and the first few verses of chapter 14, even if we don't read every single one of those texts. But uh, we've come now to the second half of the book of Joshua. The first half of Joshua was filled with battles uh, against the wicked inhabitants of Canaan. And at the end of chapter 11, it stated that Israel had taken all of the land. Now, given the second half of the narrative of the book, that obviously does not mean that they had finished the conquest. It simply means that everyone that stood against them had been defeated. And once you reach Joshua 13, no one is standing against Israel at this point. God had guaranteed the victory, and because he is sovereign, uh, victory was sure. God delivered on every single promise he'd given. And from chapter 13 all the way through 24, we're going to see a record of the distribution of the land. Uh, the second half of the book is faster. It's very detailed in how the land was distributed, but it's clear that the conquest was not yet complete. Israel still needed the faith to move throughout the promised land and take the land from those that did not stand against them in that point, but were still wicked nations that needed to be driven out. And so when you, what you're going to see in chapter 13 is that once the resistance that they had been uh, encountering faded away, there was a temptation to settle into a life of stagnation with no forward movement. I got to say that is the sad reality that often happens in contemporary Christianity. I see people all the time, they face resistance in life and they run to faith because resistance is there and they need God to do something. They'll claim the promises of God against the fight that they have in front of them, the enemy that is standing in front of them. And then as soon as the resistance fades, the battle is over. You settle in. Apathy ensues. There's no obvious fight for you right now at your life. And so leisure is something that you focus on. And forward movement where the gospel is concerned grinds to a halt. We must realize, though, that when we are following Jesus Christ, there's always got to be forward movement in life. Conquest must be the vision, even when there seems to be the favor of peace all around us. That is the time when you can take the most ground in front of you, and that must be the focus. The issue, though, is that it is also the time when there is a temptation to rest from the effort to the extent where the next resistance won't be seen until it has completely overwhelmed you, until it has completely overtaken you, because your discernment has slowed. Your, your fight against the resistance has completely dropped. You're not doing the things that you were to do to build strength for the battle that is ahead. I don't know if you know much about sports, but really it's what you do in the offseason that prepares you for the hard parts of the season ahead of you. And when you don't prepare when there's no resistance in front of you, how in the world can you expect to be ready when you actually will face the fight? I'm going to begin reading in Joshua 13.1. It says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. Right, thank, thank you, Lord. Uh, obviously there's a reality at play. Joshua knows his age, and the Lord comes in and gives him a reminder. Hey, you're not getting any younger, buddy. 
you're old, you're advanced in years. Now, when I tell some of you you're old and advanced in years, you don't respond very well. And so hear the voice of God. <laughs> you are old and advanced in years. And God continues and he says, there remains yet very much land to possess this is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines, all those of the Geshurites. And I just want to stop there, because basically what continues on from there is a kind of a more specific statement as to what it is that they need to take, how it is that God is going to give it into their hand. But God looks to Joshua, and he makes a very clear statement. He says, Joshua, you are old. You have fought many battles. You've seen me move in many ways. You've experienced a move from God in ways that most people will never see in their lives. And there's a temptation there. God looks to Joshua and he says, don't stop. There is still a mission to live. There are still battles in front of you. Now is not the time to stop. The enemy is defeated, as chapter 11 told us, but the conquest must continue. You know, the mission of God is filled with negative commands and positive commands. And that's why, number one, this morning, you need to understand that if you are alive, God has a work for you to engage. If you are alive, God has a work for you to engage. Now, Scripture obviously has things that we are to abstain from. But it also has things that we are to focus on that are the positive commands in Scripture. There's a lot of trouble to be found in ignoring the negative commands of Scripture. Unfortunately, I've had a front row seat to seeing many people do that, which God said don't do. God tells us, and he's clear throughout all of Scripture, there are simply things that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be the people of God, these things cannot be true of you. God clearly said that to the nation of Israel from Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 12. He tells them, you're going to go in and you're going to defeat those wicked nations because Deuteronomy had made clear, you are not to synergize with those nations. And you're not to join in with those nations because they are wicked people. And if you join in with them, you will start doing all of the things that they are doing. Because whenever you synergize with an unbelieving culture that has false gods, and all unbelieving cultures do, you will ultimately turn to their gods. And so it's negative of that which Israel must not do. But what you see God looking at Joshua and saying to Joshua here, there is also a positive command that you are to give your life towards. So many abstain from things. And they're very proud of it. And that's good. You're religious. It's not a bad thing. God has told you not to do things, and you've not done those things, but it becomes a faulty form of Pharisaism. When that is all that your life is made up of, God has said, don't, and good news, I'm not. And that's all that is seen in your life or all of the things of this world that you avoid. When you live your life like that, you only have half of the mission of Jesus. Because God has not only told us what to abstain from, he has told us what we, we are to engage in. And when you only live your life abstaining from the things God has told you to avoid and not giving your life into submission of the conquest that God has called you towards in the gospel, you will ultimately create a vacuum in your life. I don't know if you realize this, but vacuums must be filled. You were created to live out the design of God and the mission of God. And when you don't do that, the vacuum is constantly looking for that which it is to fill that void that you've created with. 
When you neglect to engage the positive, you will ultimately find yourself filling the vacuum at some point with the negative. I've seen it so many times in my life where someone who had the appearance of virtue, someone who had the external appearance of being a very religious individual, you find out all sorts of things that were hidden in the background. I've heard so many people say, I would have never guessed that of him. I would never guess that of her. I would have never thought they were capable of that. I've got news for all of you. You are. You're a dirtier sinner than you'll ever know. But the key is, is so often we look at people and all that we see are the things that they avoid righteously. But the question then must be begged, what are they engaging righteously? Because the reason that so many who seem so faithful in that which they avoid end up falling into the very things that they would externally preach against is because they have formed a vacuum of not submitting their lives to the mission that God has called them on, to the conquest that God has called them to commit themselves to. And when you leave that void, quite frankly, you leave all of the opportunity in the world for temptation temptation to fill that vacuum and you end up just as immoral you end up just as wicked as you have said you would never be or as you have judged other people for because the commands of God are not only in abstaining the commands of God are in taking the world for his gospel God has created every single person with a mission to live and so understand you are living a mission The question is, what mission are you living? Are you living the right one? Because you will live for something, but will it be worthwhile? This is where we find Joshua. The text is clear. You don't need to look into the Hebrew. He's old. He's not getting any younger. His hair is probably gray. He's probably got plenty of wrinkles. Age is one thing that our culture has a real problem with. I mean, some of you are fighting it tooth and nail. I got, work, I got news for you. Nobody's ever won. Age is 100% successful in killing everyone. Uh, it's just the reality of life. But some of you fight. I once very recently saw someone who had so much Botox in her face. It had ceased to move. And I don't just mean the forehead. All right. When you laugh... And all that you can hear is the audio and there's no visual in front of you. And if you had muted that person, you wouldn't know what emotion that person was feeling at that point. All I'm saying is you may have gone too far. I've got no chapter and verse. I just have natural law where I'm starting to ask some questions. (laughs) Vanity may have crept in. All right. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. You can get the injections. I won't judge you. I will. I lied and I had to rectify it. I repent. I'm judging. I'm telling you, when your upper lip ceases to move, we need to talk. You might want to schedule an appointment with Pastor James, all right? There are certain things on your face, not me, but there are certain things on your, because you won't like what I have to say, but there are certain things on your face that were meant to move until the day that you die, and I've just chosen all of it. I want everything moving until the day that I pass. 
But we fight a battle with age that I think is unhealthy because we're more committed to trying to have the appearance of youth than we are of having the wisdom that is supposed to be there in old age. There's a reason that God looks to Joshua and he says, I'm not done with you yet. Don't retire from my call. Move forward and take the land. Proverbs 16, 31 makes the statement, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Job 12, 12 proclaims that age is designed to show wisdom. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding and length of days. Now, both of these, even though Job is a poetic book, both of these are wisdom statements. That means that you don't look at this and just accept 100% of people with gray hair are righteous. Because one of the things about being a pastor is that I've met a lot of people over my life. And there's a natural revelation that comes along with that. Not everybody ages equally. There are some people that your hair may be full of gray, but you've made every bad decision and you've learned nothing from any of them. And so I would not say just because someone is elderly, that's a great mentor for you to have in your life. Because it isn't. But there are some elderly people you shouldn't learn anything from. But it can be a sign of wisdom is God's point. Joshua had engaged the commands of God, both negative and positive. Joshua had seen God move in amazing ways. According to Proverbs, Joshua had earned his gray hair. Joshua had grown in wisdom. And so God looks to Joshua and he gives him this amazing revelation. I'm not done with you yet, even if you are done. It's as if God is telling Joshua, the younger generation still needs your leadership. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep moving forward. God looks to Joshua as if to say, instead of spending all of your time counting pills and hitting the early bird special, I have a mission for you to engage in. Live it. From the more years that you spend following Jesus, the more disciples you should be making. The more experience and repentance you should be forming. The more knowledge you should be gaining as well as passing on to those younger the more righteousness you should possess, the more wisdom you should have to offer. When you don't grow in those areas, though, you should ask why. When you don't engage in those things, you will fill the vacuum with something. And that something is the tragedy of a wasted life. I've seen so many people believe It's simply because you don't do, you're living a good life. And you're avoiding all of these things, yet you're giving your life over to just what the material world has to offer. You think that because your sheets are clean, you've got a life worth living. That's not what God tells Joshua. Joshua says the life worth living is not only found in the negative, it is found in the positive of giving your life over to taking one more hill for the conquest of God. I was talking to my wife just a few years ago. Somebody that we had both known years and years earlier had been unfaithful to his spouse. 
And it was a fascinating conversation because we're just talking about fidelity. We're talking about the commitments. We're talking about the accountability. We're talking, having this whole conversation just between the two of us about all of the ways in which we want to prevent, to make sure that we have a healthy marriage moving forward. If you never have those conversations, it's probably a good idea to have them. And I looked at my wife, and just I'm, I'm rarely like this, but I was very sarcastic and dry in my humor in that moment. It's a rare moment for me, all right? And I looked at my wife, and she loves me, so she understands my communication style. And I just looked at her, and I said, Honey, I am never surprised when men sin. It's because I'm a sinner. I'm never surprised when people give in to temptation because I'm a sinner, but not only am I a sinner, but I've seen so many people that I respected that I can't respect anymore because they didn't finish the race well. I hate it, but it's true. And I just looked at her and I said, I think I, I tell you what boggles my mind. Where do they find the time? It's a time management issue for me. It's like, I don't know when you're doing these things because I don't have time for that. And I'll tell you, there's a strategy there. When you spend your life accountable for every moment, when you spend your life saying, I will give more and more of my life to God. I will give more and more of my time to his mission. I want every moment of my day to count. You simply look at sin and you will say, I just don't have time for you. And my wife told me, she said, oh, I would know if you were cheating on me immediately. And I, would, I just looked at her. And then it's a pride issue. It's like, well, I feel like I'm pretty crafty. <laughs> It's like Mr. Deeds, don't underestimate the sneakiness, all right? And she says, because you never go anywhere alone. I said, well, that's true. If there was ever a moment where I'm just starting to step out and I'm spending two, three, four, five hours away from my house, I'm not with my wife, I'm not with my kids, I'm not with a ministry partner, I'm not with anybody else, here's the deal. She would obviously see his patterns have changed. Because he's living his life accountable. Why all of a sudden is he unaccountable? And my question is, why do you think your unaccountability is acceptable to the Lord? If you've got so much free time that you are not giving to the positive commands of Scripture, here's the key and don't miss it. Then you are leaving a vacuum that temptation will ultimately seek to fill. You want to stay faithful over the long haul? Fill your life with things worth doing. You want to stay faithful over the rest of your life to Jesus Christ? Fill every square inch with as much of him as you can possibly fit in. Because, number two this morning, obedience reveals faith and disobedience reveals a lack of faith. That's not a profound statement. It's a simple statement. It's the most difficult statement you can ever reckon with in your life. But it's true. Conquest is a command. God looks to Israel in Joshua 13, and he basically says, the obstacles are gone. Take the land. Here's what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them for tomorrow. That's the wrong verse. I got lost. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephothmaim, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before all the people of Israel, only allot the land for an inheritance. You know what he says there? He says, just move into the land. They'll rent you halls. He says, you're not even going to have to fight these people. He says, as soon as you step foot on the land, they're just going to leave. God says, the battles are over. 
It's an amazing reality. He says, for an inheritance as I have what? Commanded you. You have to take it. Your salvation is a monergistic reality. And people struggle with the tension here. That monergistic reality means you didn't take part in it. God saved you 100% himself. You didn't deserve it. You didn't work for it. You didn't attain it. Grace means God gave it to you. But your growth in the commands of God where growing in your faith is a synergistic reality. In other words, the sovereignty of God joins in with the decisions that you make and the effort you put forward to define the growth that you will experience in life. And so what God is saying, I have commanded you to move into the land, but if you don't move in, they won't move out. And so Israel had a conquest, even though God said in my sovereignty, I'm just going to make it happen. But he also said, you still have to advance forward. Now, therefore, divide this land, verse seven, for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Move down to verse 13. Yet, and it's one of the worst words you're going to see in this chapter. Verse 13 is the hinge upon which chapter 13 turns. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Verses 6 and 7 make it clear. Take the hill country. I'm going to drive them out. Just divide it up. It's yours. Paint by numbers. Yet verse 13 sets the stage for failure. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out. That's the unfaithfulness. And you might be saying, but what if they were avoiding all of the idol worship? What if they were avoiding all the things that God told them not to do? Yeah, but there's still disobedience when you refuse to do that which God has said this you must do. God makes promises to Israel yet. That term is the epitaph of so many wasted lives. God called you to conquest through the gospel yet you chose stagnancy. Yet you chose complacency. Yet, you chose apathy. Yet, you chose leisure. And on and on and on. Those sins, though, never sit alone. They create a vacuum that ends up filled with synergizing with the culture around you to convince yourself that everything is okay. But that begs a question. It's a vital question for my life and for your life. Israel had seen God do amazing things. Keep in mind, they're one generation removed from the parting of the Red Sea. Not only that, but they are the generation that saw the parting of the Jordan. They are the generation that saw the fall of Jericho. They are the generation that saw what disobedience did at Ai and what obedience did to defeat Ai. They are the generation that had seen God do amazing things on their behalf. So the question that is begged is how does this happen? How does verse 13 happen? Because enduring and the calling of God on your life over the long haul is difficult. If you have one of our Joshua copies, just write down endurance equals difficult. 
It's difficult. It's hard. James chapter 1 starts with the concept of enduring and following Jesus. I love the book of James. James 1.4 states that the only way to grow into the promise of righteousness that God has for you is one thing, steadfastness. That is an endurance that the Spirit will give you. If you live your life depending on excitement to endure you in the faith, you're never going to make it. Not every moment is exciting. Not every Bible verse feels like chicken soup for the soul. If you live your life thinking that every emotional high is that which endures me in the faith, and here's the deal, there are emotional highs, but there are also emotional lows. There are days in following Jesus that are profoundly encouraging. But guess what? There are days that are profoundly discouraging. One of my mentors used to tell me there are more bad days than good when you're following Jesus Christ. It's not the gospel you got, huh? The reality is, friends, that emotional highs fail. Feelings change. I, on Sundays, I love preaching. That's why I do it so much. It's hard to sideline me. I love preaching. I've always loved preaching. I've been doing it for so many years. First sermon I ever gave in front of a church. I'm talking big church, not kids church. I was too good for that. I was 12 years old. So I love this. I live for this. And can I tell you, I wake up every Sunday morning excited. I get to share God's word. Through the 8.30 hour, I'm filled with energy. Through the 10 o'clock hour, I'm filled with energy. Through the 11.30 hour, I am filled with energy. There, my hormones are producing so much adrenaline. I mean, I could run through a plate glass window right now, all right? But every Sunday, I wake up with the reality. Three o'clock's coming. It comes every Sunday, whether I like it or not. God hasn't stopped it yet. Because th by 3 o'clock, I've taken my shoes off. By 3 o'clock, I've eaten lunch. And by 3 o'clock, I'm sitting in a chair. And I get sleepy. <laughs> that adrenaline, that excitement, that hilltop, let's take it. It's not enough to endure me. Because 3 o'clock is always going to be coming. There are always lows that are going to follow the highs of your life. And the question is, what are you giving yourself over towards to endure those hard points? And I will tell you, it is by filling every square inch as much as possible with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the word of God, with a mission worth living. Because on my hard days, I've got a mission to live. On my good days, I've got a mission to live. When I'm happy, I've got a mission to live. When I'm sad, I've got a mission to live. When I'm angry, I've got a mission to live. When I'm grieving, I've got a mission to live. When I receive bad news, I've got a mission to live. When another teammate falls into a life of sin, I've still got a mission to live. Do you? Amen. Do you? James 1.4 and that steadfastness is what I believe is explained in James 1.22. Here's how you endure. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. And here's the part most of you ignore and you need to underline. Deceiving yourselves. Hearers don't know they're only hearers. Do you know that? I don't think any of you are sitting out there and you're like, well, I'm never going to do. I just really like hearing. Now, you wouldn't be here if that was you. 
you deceive yourself. When you just hear and you don't do, here's how you end up deceiving yourself. Because in one of those lows that you weren't prepared for, a little voice comes in the back of your head. You know what that little voice says? You deserve better. A little voice says, you deserve instant gratification. A little voice will say, you just defeated an enemy. You just saw resistance go by the wayside. God can't possibly expect you to take more land right now. And that is where that term from verse 13, yet, comes into play. Because when you aren't striving forward in the call of God, the vacuum will be filled with something else because Satan and his demons know exactly what to tempt you with to, if possible, kill your very faith. Friend, you need to live for God so much that the alternative is foreign and unthinkable. You're ill-equipped to live a life of sin. Here's the thing. It's controversial, and I don't really care. But uh, I raise my kids as Christians. No alternative for them. I'm not raising them to not be Christians. If my kids ever choose to walk away from Jesus, they're going to walk into a world that they are completely ill-equipped to encounter. They're going to have no tools for that ballgame. To which people always retort, and I don't mind it. Because I like arguing. You don't pick a fight with me. I hope you brought a lunch. <laughs> People were told, but what about the real world? <laughs> what real world are you talking about? Hell? You want me to prepare them for hell? No. I'm going to prepare them for heaven so that hell is unthinkable. I'm going to prepare them to follow Jesus so that not following Jesus is unthinkable. I don't have a plan B. I've never had a plan B. Jesus' plan A and the other accounts have been emptied and put into my account for Jesus Christ. But for so many of you, the reason that that kind of bristles against the way that the flow of your life goes is because you've been conditioned to think that Christianity is keeping one foot in the kingdom, one foot in paganism, because the one foot is over here because you want just enough security so that you can deceive yourself into thinking, I'm not going to go to hell but also enough foot over here to where you have all of the things that this world has to offer and you think you're going to get the best of both worlds, but the reality is you're only going to get the best of one, and that's the wrath of God in hell forever. You should seek faithfulness to the extent that not following Jesus is an unthinkable reality for your life. Israel would not engage in the work that God had for them. Now, I'll tell you the text, the context of chapter 13. It doesn't tell us what they were doing instead. It doesn't tell us why they wouldn't do it, but it tells us the most important thing about them. They were faithless. Faith is revealed by the momentum of your life. What are you moving towards? That's what defines faith. What are you striving for is the question. What are you striving towards? You may very well be avoiding all of the wrong things, but are you moving toward all of the right things? 
In 2 Timothy, now bear with me for a moment. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes to a young pastor, Timothy. And I've found the first five verses of 2 Timothy 3 fascinating for, man, since I was a teenager. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, lows. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. But that's not the part that fascinates me. You might say that's a pretty big list. I know. It's the next thing. Three words. Avoid such people. That's part that fascinates me. Because it's so negative. Yet, there's a positive reality involved in it that so many people miss. When is the Apostle Paul talking about? Well, these things have been around since sin. He isn't writing to Timothy about something that Timothy himself isn't going to encounter. He's writing it to Timothy to let Timothy, hey, Timothy, this is what you're going to encounter. So we know that Timothy was going to encounter these difficult times with these difficult people. Then what it says at the end of verse 5, avoid such people, fascinates me because the struggle that most have with the tension of this text is they look at others and think, but I need to take the gospel to these people, which is absolutely true. That is the conquest. But what Paul is writing about here is something else. He is writing about that vacuum that you can create and cultivate in your life if you are not living to seek the mission that God has for you in the gospel. Because yes, you absolutely need to take the gospel to these people. But the problem is that in your living for the conquest of the gospel, these people must never become your home base because when they become your home base it reveals that you did not have a mission therefore you created a vacuum therefore you became that which God hates these people are not your community they are not the ones that you are relating to as you follow Jesus Christ they are actually the people you are exhibiting the righteousness that you are growing into as you live for the conquest of the gospel in front of all these peoples and so then you may say what does that have to do with Joshua here's what it has to do with Joshua Israel would not take the land so what you see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the land eventually took Israel. And their refusal to take the land might, may have been obeying all of the negative things of the don't do's, but they refused to obey the positive of what you should do. They didn't take the land. Therefore, all of these wicked nations surrounded them. They didn't do what God said. And so if you read into the book of Judges, the theme becomes everyone did that which was right, not in God's eyes, but in their own eyes. Israel started worshiping false gods. Israel started partaking in sexual sin. Israel started partaking in absolute wickedness. Friends, if you will not fill your life with the calling that God has given you, and you don't take seriously the life that He has for you, you will eventually be taken captive by wickedness. 
Because of what the rest of the New Testament says, he doesn't give us this list so that we will go, ew, gross, icky people. No, he gives us this as a warning. This is what's going to happen for you if you cease to live for the gospel. You cease to be the hope for these people, and you just become one of them. Involved in all types of sin. Friend, you should take the commands, both negative and positive in Scripture, so seriously that you relate to the lives of the wicked less and less every day to the point where sinful lifestyles become unthinkable because you are so overcome and overwhelmed by a mindset of living for Jesus every single day. So you avoid such people by obeying Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you have everything in your life in common with those that won't follow Jesus, here's the reality. You aren't living for the mission that God has called you towards. Because God always, number three, supplies grace that transforms us. Here's the good news of the passage. I love this. Look in verse 14 and verse 33. Some interesting things about the inheritance of the land. It says in verse 14, To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. And skip down to verse 33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. God always reveals his holiness. And that's gracious. One of the favorite parts for me of the distribution of the land of Israel is what I just read about the issue of these Levites. They were the priests of God. They did not get an inheritance of land. In other words, every other tribe got acreage. Every other tribe got a physical location as an inheritance for them. Not the Levites, though. For the Levites, at this point, they were in cities, not their own, as representatives of the righteousness of God. You saw in the first text that they were the people that were conducting the worship of God. All of the sacrificial system of the book of Leviticus was what they were in charge of. They were maintaining and in charge of the right worship of God. Then in verse 33, it says the Lord God is their inheritance. They are the instruments of God's intercession between man and God. This was a grace of God because it was a revelation, a constant reminder of Israel. This is why you are here, to worship God with your life. Now, we are not Levitical priests by any stretch. Jesus is, according to the book of Hebrews, the better and greater high priest. Jesus is now the intermediary between God and man. That system is unnecessary because God has done that. But the conquest of the gospel is meant to spread the presence of God over the whole earth, just as Israel, through the Levitical priest, spread the holiness of God throughout all of the promised land. Habakkuk put it that God's holiness would one day spread over the earth like the waters covered the sea. That is our calling. That is our mission. The holiness of God will always be a judgment to the wicked and a grace to the faithful. 
The way the priesthood was set up was a grace to Israel that kept the revelation of God's holiness in front of them as a reminder of who it was that redeemed them from Egypt and who it was that called them to take conquest over the promised land. And that reminder needed to be in front of them all of the time, just as the presence of the Holy Spirit and the ability to saturate your life with God's word now serves as an ever present reminder of the God that redeemed us from our slavery in sin and the God that has called us through the gospel to take conquest, not over one land, but over the face of the entire world. Therefore, his holiness is a grace to the faithful. And that grace has never changed. He's still the one who redeems. God has given us a picture of his holiness in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This text is a reminder to never move backwards. Because that would be wickedness. We are to move forward into holiness because the one who called us is holy. And the conquest for the gospel in this life. And sometimes I think we forget that. We are tempted to use grace as more of an excuse for our failures than as a reason for our growth into a life of holiness. We are tempted to use the gospel's victory as a reason for stagnation and apathy more than we use it as a catalyst to take one more hill in this world for the reign of God through the victory of Jesus Christ. Israel failed in ways that we do not have to. Joshua 13, states that God was the inheritance of Levi. And what's amazing is that God is the inheritance for all who believe in Jesus now. This world belongs to that God. And he wants us to live for him over every square inch of it. A few application points this morning. First, endure in living the mission of Jesus through every season of life. Endure in living the mission of Jesus through every season of life. You can retire from a vocation, but you can never retire from the calling that God has for your life. Amen. Never. Secondly, engage the calling of God every day. God has gifted every single one of you in some way for the sake of his gospel. And a huge important aspect of your discipleship is growing first in understanding how God has gifted you and secondly in understanding how God wants to use it for His glory for the rest of your days on this earth. Thirdly, grow in obeying all of God's commands. Not just the negative and not just the positive. All of them. There's something to abstain from, but there's also a mission to engage in. Obey all of His commands. And then finally, spread the holiness of God everywhere you go. And there's only one way to do that. Obedience to his call.